Hey, Reach Paramount, welcome to our podcast. We really hope this message encourages and challenges you as you walk with the Lord every day. Enjoy this message. All right, thank you guys. You guys can be seated. Uh, if you can raise up my mic just a little bit. Are you guys excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? There is no better place to be at than at Reach Church uh, in the city of Paramount, California. All right, I'm excited. I really am excited. I believe God has put a word on my heart to, to give to you tonight. But before I get started, I have to do this. I want to honor uh, the lead pastors of Reach Church, Pastor Omar and Sister Letty. Yeah. Honestly, without them, I would physically not even be here. So I want to honor them. My mom said that's true. Yeah, it is. It is true. So I want to thank them and honor them and honor the pastoral staff. Uh, also, it's, it's Pastor Rob's birthday today. So if you see him, tell him happy birthday and, 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 and give him a, a Holy Ghost handshake. Uh, if you guys don't know what that is, it's when you give a handshake with some money in there. So... Remember to give that to him on your way out. And lastly, I want to honor my beautiful wife, Linda, right there. I love that girl. She's the reason uh, I am the way I am. She has made me a better man, and I am honored to be uh, her husband and obviously now father. Well, not her father, but... uh, I'm honored to be a father now with my daughter, Natalie. So my daughter just turned one. So man, it, it, time goes by fast, believe me. Um, but I'm going to get right into it. And I really do believe that God has put a word on my heart to, to give to you tonight. And uh, if you've been a part of our church for any amount of time, uh, specifically within the past couple years, if you've been here within the past couple of years, you'd understand that God is doing something. You understand that God is moving. You'd understand that there's a revival happening in this church, and it's not something we could create physically. It's not something that we can do. We don't have this five-step plan that the pastors have that we're doing. We're just a church that wants to please God. And because we want to please Him, because we honor Him, God meets us here. And as I begin to prepare uh, for tonight, as I begin to prepare this week, I begin to think about our church. But as I begin to think about our church, I couldn't help but to think about the world. I couldn't help but to think about how lost and how miserable this world is right now. How evil our nation is, how evil this generation is, how much the world is just trying to force sin on us, how much they're trying to get us to compromise. See, this world, I believe, is trying to get us to become numb to the things of God, trying to get us to conform to their beliefs, conform to the way they live. And as I began to read the word this week, I I was reading in, in, in 2 Kings, And if you've ever read in 2 Kings, you'd understand that in that time, there are some crazy kings. In that time, there were some evil kings. And you would see how perverted the nation of Israel became. You would see how much they neglected God. You would see that they continue to disobey them or disobey God. But if you've ever read about the kings of Israel, a lot of the times, a lot of the times God would bring grace to them. Although the nation of Israel deserved God's wrath and judgment over their lives, 
because of a certain king or because of a certain person who had a fear of the Lord and had reverence toward the Father, because of that person who interceded for their generation, there was repentance. And whenever there is repentance and reverence towards God, it always stirred up a revival. And God always remained true to his word, and he always showed mercy and grace towards the Israelites. Tonight, I look at our world. I look at our church today. I look at our nation, and I don't believe God is done. I don't believe God has even come close to the move that he wants to bring to the state of California, to the United States of America, and to the world in general. And I'm believing for this generation to come back to him. But let me tell you something. Whenever there is revival, God will eventually reveal certain things. You guys ever heard of that saying where there's revival, revival reveals things? And I believe as we continue to see God move, I believe as we continue to see a revival take place, God will do three specific things. And these are three specific things. You can write it down. These are my three points that I believe God does during revival. He does this. He gives us revelation. He causes us to repent. And he brings restoration to our lives. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray and and invite the Holy Spirit here. So, Father, we thank you, Jesus. God, we ask, God, that every word that I speak, Lord, that they would hear your voice, Father. Lord, I pray that we would catch the revelation, Lord, that you showed me, Father. Lord, I pray, God, that every eye, every ear would be on you. And, Father, I pray tonight, God, that you would get all the glory, Jesus. Father, we pray that you would challenge us, Lord, that you would convict our hearts, Father. And, Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, God, and for what you're going to do tonight in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Tonight, I want to talk to you about three things of what God does during revival. Number one is this, is God brings revelation. See, I want you to turn your Bibles to 2 Kings chapter 22. And tonight I want to talk about a man named Josiah. Uh, But before we read uh, chapter 22, uh, you have to understand where the nation of Israel is at right now. In chapter 21, a man by the name of Amon uh, becomes king of Judah. And it says that as he was king, he followed in the same footsteps as his father Manasseh, who was king before him. And if you read in in 2 Kings chapter 20, you'd understand that King Manasseh wasn't the best king. You'd understand that King Manasseh was worshiping idols, was bowing down to them, and now we have Amon doing the same thing. Amon is worshiping idols. He's bowing down to them. In fact, he he places different idols in the temple where only God was supposed to be. And it says in the Bible that he forsook the Lord and did not walk in obedience to him. See, I couldn't get my mind off of how similar our world is looking now to the time that Amen was king. Right now, our world is literally forsaking God in every aspect of their lives. The world is trying to take God's name out of everything, trying to take his name out of schools, out of the government. It's even affecting some churches today. Some churches are are literally allowing themselves to compromise their own beliefs in order to comfort the culture around them. You see, this world is living in disobedience to God. It's constantly walking in the opposite direction of them, and it seems to be getting worse and worse. But just like I mentioned before, wherever there was chaos, wherever there was a king who became perverse, 
God always showed up. Why don't you look to your neighbor and tell him, keep reading. This is where the, the story is in 2 Kings chapter 22. And this is after King Amon is murdered. He was only king for two years. And in 2 Kings chapter, chapter 22, verse 1 through 2, it says this. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem for 31 years. Jump down to verse 2. It says, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed completely the ways of his father David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. I, I want to stop there real quick. It says that Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Now, I, I, I want you to understand that this is Josiah. This is King Amon's son. You see, this is King Amon's son, the king who walked in complete disobedience to God, the king who was worshiping idols, the king who placed different idols in the temple of God, yet his eight-year-old son is now king, and it says that he's doing right in the eyes of the Lord, meaning that he was pleasing God by the way he lived. In a time where finding a man of God who would obey God was rare, we have a boy who was doing right in the eyes of the Lord. See, I have to let someone know. There's a couple things that I want you guys to know. One is this. For the youth, it doesn't matter how young you are. It doesn't matter how young you may feel. It should not, uh, it has nothing to do with taking God seriously. Your age has nothing to do with if you can please God or not. Josiah was eight years old. He was king of Israel, yet he pursued God. Don't allow your youth to be an excuse on why you don't follow Jesus. You see, you're never too young to follow Jesus. And in 1 Timothy 4.12, it says, don't, look, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. For the youth, live for Jesus. Set an example for those that are around you. Man, I, I love Reach Youth. I, I want to give a shout-out to Reach Youth real quick. I, I get so pumped when I see them save seats in the front row. I get so pumped when they're on fire for God at the altar. Man, it, it's just so refreshing to see the youth on fire for God. Even though sometimes they save seats in the front that, that take seats away from the adults and they end up not even sitting there in the, in the first place. But I, I rather them save seats. I'd rather them be excited. I'd rather them have a fire for God then have their fire burned out and sit in the back. You're never too young to serve the Lord. You see, there's a second thing that I want to point out real fast. For those of you who grew up in ungodly homes, for those of you who grew up with parents who didn't know the Lord, with parents who in fact hated the Lord, with parents who never took you to church, I want to challenge and encourage you tonight. Stop using it as an excuse as to why you can't serve the Lord. Stop using it as a reason on why you can never commit to God, on why you keep messing up, on why you can never really serve God. Well, well, well Jacob, I, I didn't grow up in church like you. My, my parents weren't pastors like you. I wasn't brought up in Christianity while neither was Josiah's. In fact, his father completely disobeyed God. His father was murdered at a young age, and yet we still have Josiah at eight years old, doing what is right in the eyes of the Lord. Some of you in this room need to stop allowing your circumstances to be an excuse for you not to commit to Jesus. 
Now believe me, I, I understand some of you in this room, I know your stories and I know you've had tough childhoods. I know maybe your parents never loved you. Maybe you were abused as a kid. Maybe they abandoned you. Now I understand that's hard, but we can't allow that to be an excuse as to why we don't serve God. You see, if you allow your past circumstances to dictate whether or not you serve God, in the end, you'll never do it. That's not even what I'm really talking about. You know, I just had to share that with you tonight. Um, let's get to the main text here. I'm sorry about that. I know I took some of my time off. Uh, here we are in 2 Kings chapter 22. And we know that Josiah is eight years old and he's king of Israel now. He's, it says that he's doing right in the eyes of the Lord. And if you read the next couple of verses, it says that it fast forwards 18 years. And, and, and during this time, uh, Israel is still sinning against God thanks to uh, Josiah's father, Amon. Uh, but in that time, Josiah has a secretary named Shaphan. And he tells his secretary to go to the temple of God. He tells him, okay, I want you to go to the temple. I want you to get the money from them. And, and then I want you to distribute it to the workers. I want you to give it to the supervisors. I want you to distribute it to the people that are working on the temple. So the secretary does as, as exactly as he's told. But as he's there, the high priest of the temple, his name is uh, Hilkiah, uh, the high priest of the temple comes up to the secretary and he tells him, I found something. He hands him a book and he says, I found one of the books of the law. Meaning some people believe that this was Deuteronomy. Some people believe that this was the entire uh, Genesis through Deuteronomy. But this is a major discovery in this time. You see, we don't know how it was lost. We don't know if the kings before them hid it because of the law that it said. But we know what was lost was now found. And now they have a part of God's word that has now been discovered. And this is kind of where we're at in 2 Kings chapter 22. We're going to read uh, quite a few verses right now. And there's some words that I'm probably going to mess up. I was, I was practicing with my wife today, but I'm probably going to mess up. So don't laugh at me, please. Uh, so 2 Kings chapter 28 or 22, verse 8 through 20. This, it says this, Hokiah the high priest said to Shaphan the secretary, I have found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. He gave it to Shaphan who read it. Then Shaphan the secretary went to the king and reported to him. Your officials have paid out the money that was in the temple of the Lord and have entrusted it to the workers and supervisors at that temple. Then the secretary informed the king, Hilkiah the high priest or the priest has given me a book and Shaphan read it from it, read it, read from it in the presence of the king. So Shaphan comes back to tell the king, hey, I did what I was supposed to do, but I came back with a book. And in that moment, Shaphan began to read the book, uh, whether it was Deuteronomy or Genesis through Deuteronomy. He began to read it to him. And this is what happens in verse 11. It says this, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. He gave these orders to Hakiah the priest of Ahikam, son of Shaphan, Akbor, son of Micaiah, Shaphan, the secretary, and Asiah, the king's attendant. Go and inquire of the Lord for me and for the people and for all Judah about what is written in this book that has been found. Great is the Lord's anger that burns against us because those who have gone before us have not obeyed the words of this book. 
They have not acted in accordance with all that is written there concerning us. Hilkiah the priest, Ahikam, Akbor, Shaphan, and Asiah went to speak to the prophet Hulda, uh, who was the wife of Shalom, son of Tikva, the son of Harhis, keeper of the wardrobe. She lived in Jerusalem in the new quarter. Then it says this. She said to them, this is the prophet speaking to them. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Tell the man who sent you to me, this is what the Lord says. I'm going to bring disaster on this place and its people. According to everything written in the book, in the book the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods and aroused my anger by all the idols their hands have made, my anger will burn against this place and will not be quenched. Tell the king of Judah, who sent you to inquire of the Lord, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says concerning the words you heard. Because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I've spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. So here we have Shaphan and, and, and the king. Shaphan brings the, the book to him and he begins to read it in front of him. And as he begins to read, it says that the king tears his robe. You see, the reason King Josiah tore his robe after listening to what the secretary had read, the reason he tore his robe was because it was through the word of God that Josiah's sin was revealed. By tearing his robe, it was an expression of deep conviction. He had realized that he had been living a life that was completely going against the way God had intended them to live. You see, before a revival can truly take place in your life, before God can really move in your life, Jesus will reveal to you how sinful you really are. Before you can serve him, before you can do really anything for him, you first need to know that you're a sinner. Romans 3.23, it says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 1 John 1.8, it says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. When revival comes, when God is ready to pour out his spirit, the first thing that he's going to do is bring a revelation to us of how sinful we are. You see, I believe sin is revealed in three ways. One, it's hearing the gospel. Some of you in this room are here because someone told you about Jesus. Someone told you that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, uh, and it's through him that you're forgiven. Maybe you came here to reach church, and Pastor Omar was talking about how Jesus died for you. Maybe you were at a grocery store, and, and this tall guy with glasses and a mustache came up to you and says, Hey, I want to invite you to my church. Jesus died for your sins. It's through the hearing of the gospel, it's through listening to what Jesus has done for you, that the power of the Holy Spirit begins to reveal how sinful and lost we really are. That's why we always preach here at Reach Church, or one of our values is reach out, because we believe that when we share the good news, we believe that when we speak about the gospel, the Holy Spirit is working through us, and he's beginning to reveal to people how lost and how in need of a Savior they really are. Number two is we, uh, our sin is revealed through reading his word. It was because King Josiah was listening to the word of the Lord that he realized how sinful he was. 
You see, we believe here at Reach Church that the Word of God is alive and active. Hebrews 4.12, for the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to, even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. You see, the Word of God is simply not a collection of words put together that when we read it, nothing happens. We believe that when we read it, it becomes in us. It becomes alive in us. And as it becomes alive in us, it begins to change us. And it begins to work in us. You see, the Word of God reveals who we really are and who we're not supposed to be. It gives us discernment on what's good and what's evil. Some of you in this room, the reason why you keep living in sin... Some of you in this room, the reason why you keep finding yourself in bondage, the reason why you keep finding yourself in this cycle is because you don't have the Word of God in you. You're not allowing the Word of God to penetrate your soul. You're not allowing Him to remove the things that shouldn't be in there because it's through the Word of God that our sin is revealed. How do you know how messed up you are? How do you know how jacked up of a sinner you are if you don't listen to the preaching and you don't read His Word? You see, sin is revealed through hearing of the gospel, through reading his word. And lastly, I believe sometimes the way God reveals sin to us is he will often expose sin to us to allow us to get it right. See, I believe this mostly has to deal within the church. See, a lot of us think that we can continue living in sin and serving God. A lot of us think that we can be in ministry, we can look good on the outside, but be jacked up on the inside. A lot of us think that no one's going to find out that I can continue living this way, that I can continue living for myself, I can, I, 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 I can drink, I, I can go have sex, I can, I can go and party, I can do what I want, and then when I come to church, I can serve, I can have a smile on my face. But let me tell you, during revival, when God is getting ready to pour his spirit out, whatever is in the dark will be brought to light. Don't get mad at me. This is, this is the Bible. In Luke, Luke 8, verse 17, it's where all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to light and made known to all. You see, if you don't allow the gospel or the word of God to bring revelation of your sin to you, you see, it's not whether or not others will discover your sin. Eventually, your sin will discover you. You see, you can't run from the consequences of your sin. No, no matter how slick you think you are, no matter how much you think you can cover it up, if you're living in sin, your sin will find you out. I'm telling you right now, if you're in a place where you're coming to church, but you're hiding into your sin, you will eventually be found out. That's why we encourage every believer here that we believe what the Word of God says in James, that we need to confess our sins to one another so we can be made whole. We don't want you to confess just so that all the pastors can come and talk about it. Or all the leaders can, oh, look at this guy, he did this and that. No, we don't, we don't, we don't want that. The reason why is because we believe that there's healing with confession. We believe that you can get freedom through confession. But a lot of us rather learn from experience than learn from in instruction, as Pastor Omar says. Let me tell you, if you don't confess it, if you don't think that you have to share what you're going through, that you have to confess what you're going through, the power of the Holy Spirit during revival will eventually draw you out. That's the reality of this is when he comes, when God is ready to bring a move of revival, 
When God is ready to, 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 to move, he's going to bring revelation to your sin. Whether it's from hearing the gospel, whether it's from reading his word, and sometimes he's going to expose you. Why? Why does God want to reveal our sin? It's for one reason and one reason only, to bring us to repentance. See, Jesus reveals our sin not to show us how bad we are, not just to say, oh, you're a jacked up sinner. <laughs> that sucks for you. Jesus doesn't just do that just to show us how bad we are. He shows us how bad we are so we know that we need Jesus to save us. We know that we need forgiveness. We know that we need healing. We know that we need freedom. See, during revival, God will reveal our sins so that it would lead us and bring us to repentance. See, the moment King Josiah's uh, sin was revealed to him, it says that he tore his robe in, in, in conviction of his sin. You see, during that time when you would tear your clothing, it was, it, it was an expression. It was an expression of your conviction, of fear, of, of astonishment. You see, Josiah used the custom of his day to show that he was repenting. But let me tell you, the reason we can say that King Josiah truly repented is because after he understood that the way he was living was wrong, after he tore his robe, after he got a word from the prophet, this is what happens in 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 1 through 4. It says, Then the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went up to the temple of the Lord with all the people of Judah, the, inhabit the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from least to greatest, says that he read in their hearing all the words of the book of the covenant which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart and his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in the book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. Man, that's awesome. That's awesome. He renewed the covenant before himself. Everyone in that room began to renew their covenant. And in that moment, you know that that's true repentance. Let me tell you, it, that's not all it is. Yes, we know it's part of what he did. Yeah, he tore his robe. He makes a new covenant before the Lord. He has everyone doing it. You see, that's great, but that's not all of it. It doesn't just end there. There's another verse to this. Say, keep reading. In 2 Kings chapter 23, verse 4, it says this. The king ordered Hilkiah the high priest, the priests next in rank, and the doorkeepers to remove from the temple of the Lord all the articles made for Baal and Asherah and all the starry hosts. It said that Josiah ordered the priests to tear down every idol that was made before God. That's how you know he truly repented. It was because he put to death the old way he was living so he can walk in the new life that Jesus had for him. See, the reality is this. A lot of Christians think that just showing grief, that just showing remorse is enough. A lot of Christians think that coming to the altar, a lot of them believe that we can just cry, that we can lift our hands. All we need to do is say the sinner's prayer and I'm good. Well, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 8, it says, Prove by the way you live that you have repented of your sins and turned to God. Let me tell you, to repent is to change your mind. Meaning, if you're going this way, 
you have to go the opposite direction. Repentance is not just a license to keep sinning. It's a commitment to not sin anymore. You see, true repentance means that you're truly changed. You see, the way you know that there's true revival somewhere is through true repentance. It's not just people who ask God to forgive them of their sins because I've seen so many Christians come to this altar, repent, ask God for forgiveness. They have all this, this whole show, they're crying and everything, but once they leave this building, they're living the same way. They're back to drugs, they're back to alcohol, they're back to watching pornography every day. You see, I'm tired of seeing the same people coming to this altar to receive salvation, repenting for their sins without any action afterwards. Titus 1.16 says, Such people claim they know God, but they deny him by the way they live. They are detestable and disobedient, worthless for doing anything good. If you truly want to repent, if you really mean it, if you truly mean that you're not going to go back, then you would allow Jesus to change you. Then you would stop sinning. Then you would stop living the same way you're living. You see, Pastor Luke, uh, uh, last night at RBI, talked about how some people are incontinent Christians. Now, incontinent Christians, you see, these people know the good that they should be doing. They know that they should, they know the way they should be living. They know the word of God. Uh, that, that's most of us in here. You see, these people desire to do good. You know, they have a desire to live right. They have a desire to live righteously. In fact, sometimes these people even choose to do good. They say, you know what, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to serve you. You know what, God, I, I'm going to get rid of my life. I'm going to do it. I'm going to really serve you. They even decide to serve Jesus. But in the end, they fail to do good. In the end, they don't keep their commitments. We have a lot of incontinent Christians in this world who desire to do good. In fact, they even choose to do good, but they still fail to do it. Why? Because they have no self-control. Why? Because they have no discipline. Why? Because they don't truly mean it. Because if you truly meant it, then you would stop living the way you're living. Too many of us have come to the altar to repent, but still leave in bondage. See, true repentance will cause you to take action in your life. Like Josiah, when he repented, he didn't just stop there after he tore his clothes. He didn't just stop there after he made a covenant with God. No, he removed all the idols that was in the temple. Some of you tonight need to take some action. Some of you tonight need to put off your old sinful nature. You need to kill the way that you were living. Paul says when you repent, when you allow Jesus to be your life, your old life no longer lives. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, it says, When you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your mind, and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. You see, when we repent before Jesus... When we decide to take that journey with Jesus, when we decide to follow him, that old life stays there. Our old life is thrown away like you throw away old and dirty clothes. It stays there. You no longer talk the way you used to talk. You no longer think the way you used to think. You no longer go to places that you used to go to. You no longer do the same things that you used to do. 
You see, when you repent, you give the Holy Spirit permission to guide you. And you give him permission to empower you to live for Jesus. You allow him to change you. You allow him to convict you. You allow him to push you towards Jesus. You see, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to overcome sin in your life. See, just like King Josiah, he ordered the priest to tear down every idol. We need to do the same with our lives. We need to leave our old life behind. Too many of us are repenting, but we're keeping our old life with us. I'm going to encourage you tonight, make a decision. Like Elijah says, you either serve God or you don't. You either serve God or you serve Baal. You choose one or the other. Tonight, some of us need to make a real decision on whether or not you want to serve Jesus. Because I'm telling you, when true revival comes, which is, it's happening already. God's going to bring a revelation to your sin. And he's going to give you an option of whether or not you want to repent. But let me tell you, when you make a decision to truly repent, it will always lead to restoration. Well, the worship team come up. You see, when your sin is revealed, our response should always be to repent. You see, Josiah was ashamed and he was broken for what he had done. He was broken for what the nation had done for the way they were living. And he immediately took action for the way he was living. You see, you knew Josiah had repented for how he responded to the revelation of his sin. You knew that he meant it when he got rid of all the idols. And because he repented, it says in 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, we read this already, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to remind you guys. This is the prophet talking to them. It says, because your heart was responsive and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I have spoken against this place and its people, that they would become a curse and be laid waste. And because you tore your robes and wept in my presence, I also have heard you, declares the Lord. Therefore, I will gather you to your ancestors and you will be buried in peace. Your eyes will not see all the disaster I'm going to bring on this place. Because Josiah, because King Josiah repented, because he responded in humility, it says that he would not see the disaster that God was going to bring. Because he repented, he's not going to see the judgment like he was going to. When we repent, the same thing happens for us. Although we deserve judgment, although we deserve to be in hell, although we deserve to experience God's wrath, if we come humbly before God in repentance, he's willing to forgive us. He's willing to heal us. He's willing to restore us. 1 Peter 3.18, it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. See, Jesus' whole purpose on the cross was for one thing, so that we would be forgiven and restored to him. So that one day we would be in eternity with Jesus. Revival will always bring restoration between us and the Father. It's through the power of the cross and his blood that we are restored. It's through the power of the cross that we can walk in freedom and that we're no longer slaves to sin, that we're no longer slaves to guilt and shame, no longer slaves to our addiction. We no longer have to live in bondage because of the restoration that Jesus brings. See, I remember growing up in church, and I remember there was a time in my life where I didn't want to serve God. There was a time in my life where I, I was playing the part like some of you tonight. 
Well, I'm in ministry. I was even a part of the worship team. I looked good on the outside, but I was living in complete sin. During that time, I, I remember I was sinning. I, I would tell my parents I was doing this. I would tell them I, I, I was going there. But in the end, I would go behind their backs and I, would, I, was, I was doing what I wanted. I was telling them I was doing this, but knowing I was going to go out and sin. And I remember during that time, God was really moving at our church, but in my mind, I, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I remember I was, I, was, I was, like I said, I was playing the part. I was serving God on the outside, but I was living in sin on the inside. Uh, but like I mentioned uh, before, during a time of revival, God will reveal your sin to you in different ways. Either hearing of the gospel, either uh, re reading of his word, but let me tell you, those two didn't work for me. And unfortunately, my sin was exposed. And I remember my, my leader finding out, which was Pastor Mike, who spoke this past Sunday, and he pulled me aside. He said, hey, I found out you're doing this and that. And believe me, in that moment, he, he was upset at me because in that moment, I, 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 I looked good on the outside. I was worshiping God. I was doing all these different things. So he was upset. He had a right to be. He had a right to be disappointed. And I remember he... I remember just feeling so exposed and so guilty for what I had done. And in that moment, he told me something that, man, I didn't want to do. He says, well, okay, we got to go tell your parents. And I'm like, dang. <laughs> that, is, that is my dad, let alone the pastor of the church that I'm in. And I remember, I, I didn't drive at the time, so Mike drove me there. And I remember just sitting in the car thinking, oh, my God, what's going to happen? I've been lying to my dad for this long, and... I don't know what he's going to do. I, I, he's probably going to beat me. He's probably just going to yell at me or something. He's going to do something because, man, I'm in trouble. And I remember getting to my house, and, and, and I walk in, and no one's, in the, no one's in the house. The lights are pretty much off. And I'm thinking, what the heck is going on? And I look, and I, the, the light to the garage is on. And I say, oh, God, he's going to have me go in the garage. I don't know what's going to happen. And I walk into the garage, and he has two chairs out, and he's sitting on one of them. And I, obviously, I know I, I got to sit in that chair. And as I sit in that chair, I remember getting there, and he said, okay, tell me what happened. He had, already under, he had already known what had happened, but he wanted to hear from me. And I remember in that moment, I began to tell him all the lies that I told him. I began to tell him everything that I was doing, everything, uh, every way I was living, and I told him the truth. And he began to ask me questions. Well, when you said you were here, you were actually over there. When, when you said you did this, you actually did that. And he remembered all the lies that I had told him. And I had to be honest with him. I, I was exposed. I couldn't do anything about it. I couldn't hide anymore. And in that moment, I remember just feeling guilty. I remember just feeling ashamed of myself. And I'm already prepared for, for him to punish me. I'm already prepared uh, for him to beat me. I'm already prepared for him to yell at me. I'm prepared for something major that's going to happen to me. And I remember telling my dad, hey, you know, I'm sorry. I really meant that I was sorry, but I, I, I knew that just because I said I'm sorry, he's not going to fix everything. And I remember telling him all these different things, and he just kind of paused after I was done telling him everything, and he just looked at me. Well, probably was a minute. It felt like an hour. He just paused, and he looked at me. And he looks at me, and he says, he finally speaks. He says, Jacob, despite... You completely lying to your mom and I. 
despite you hurting us, despite you losing our trust in you, despite you going behind our backs, he says, I forgive you and I love you. And, and, and after that, he gave me a hug. And I remember in that moment, just feeling so confused that I, I, I ruined my, my dad's view of me. I ruined his perspective of who I am. Yeah, I was young, and, but he was disappointed in me probably. I felt that he was going to hurt me and kill me and all these different things. But he does the complete opposite. And I remember just feeling confused. I remember feeling relieved because I didn't receive what I was supposed to receive. But in that moment, as, as he gave me a hug, as he told me that I love you and I forgive you, I remember, I, I really do believe that the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment. And he said, as my dad is holding me, just like your dad has forgiven and loves you, that's a representation of my love and forgiveness for you. God used my dad to show me restoration between me and the Father. In that moment, the power of repentance led to my restoration. The moment you repent is the moment we allow Jesus to restore us to him. You see, I'm here to encourage you. God can restore anyone who is lost. God can remove any guilt or shame you may have, any feelings of brokenness, any feelings of confusion. God wants to restore you. In fact, he's waiting for you to repent and to turn to him. Hosea 6.1, if we can have our, every head bowed and every eye closed, it says this in Hosea 6.1, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, now, now he will heal us. He has injured us, now he will bandage our wounds. In just a short time, he will restore us so that we may live in his presence. Thanks so much for listening to this message from Reach Church Paramount. To stay connected with us, follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Reach Paramount. To give and support this podcast and ministry, visit our website at reachparamount.com give.